stupid cancer show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary. I am a 17-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. And my name is Annie Goodman, journalist and young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your host for the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay. It's not okay. That 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy leaving, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion. At a time. On tonight's show, Stupid Cancer Canada. Yes, Canadians get cancer too, and it sucks just as much for their, their young adults, despite a different healthcare system. We'll be speaking with Jean LaMancha, Don Cleary, Deb Bridgman, and filmmaker Mikey Lang to share their stories and talk about maple syrup. Yes. And Tim Hortons, maybe. And Tim Hortons, and Mounties, and Canadians. <laughs> and, and any other stereotype we could think of. And, yeah, and <laughs> South Park, and... No, Justin Bieber. Well, in case you guys don't know, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, a nonprofit organization that empowers young adults affected by cancer online at stupidcancer.org. And a Stupid Cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Stupid Cancer Show as we come to you live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio. So fabulous. It is fabulous. You're fabulous. In New York City. You're beautiful. Kenny Kane. (laughs) Annie Gibbon. What up? Hello, hello. Hey. Welcome back. Welcome back to you, sir. Indeed. We had a week off. We did. Not really, nice. though. It was a holiday. In America, it was a holiday. America. America, yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I had a, uh, a birthday. You did? Yes. You were old, sir. I am one year away from aging out of my own nonprofit organization. How about that? I guess I'll get ready for my uh, my bump. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my ascent. All of a sudden. Kenny, you're now in charge. <laughs> <laughs> Free beer for everyone. Yeah. Beer, beer, MG. I, beer, MG. Yeah. So, so Coca Cola and the water fountains, right? Yes. Isn't always the high school president's promise? Yes. <laughs> exactly. And pizza lunch. Pizza lunch. It's exactly, exactly. Yeah, I just came back from uh, Chicago. Boy, my arms tired. So <laughs> you forgot the flu. Yeah. Uh, well, whatever. I, whatever. Never mind. You almost it, it got was, it. It was dead on arrival. I'm tired and I'm caffeinated at the, at the same time. 
No, I was in Chicago for ASCO, which is the American Society of Clinical Oncology. They host their annual uh, meeting. Forty or 50,000 doctors from around the world come for like a week, literally a week. It's mm-hmm. like a festival. It's like Burning Man. It's like Burning Man with like needles and chemotherapy. And so it's uh, continuing. It's conti- stabbing man. <laughs> Injectable man, exactly. Yes. Yes. Were there phlebotomists there, like poking people? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> literally, it is the crown jewel of all medical oncology. Uh, Aside from the OMG Cancer Summit for well, young adults. It's this the, is for doctors. It's the doctor version without any of the like crazy roof deck party, you know, backdoor shenanigans stuff. But... It was great. There's a nonprofit pavilion. We had most of our friends were there from my lifeline, Inman Angels, uh, Cancer 101, Leukemia Lymphoma Society, uh, Critical Mass, uh, Colon Cancer, Colon Club, Colon Cancer Alliance. I mean, everyone, everyone. Mm-hmm. Omen Fund was there. Everybody part was, was well represented. It was <laughs> exactly, exactly. Livestrong was there as the Livestrong Foundation, which is their new legal name, the Livestrong yeah. Foundation. And it was great. A lot of meetings, met with a bunch of different drug companies and reps, and we're talking to them about, you know, what is stupid cancer really doing these days from a direct-to-patient programs Mm -hmm. and raising awareness programs and fundraising programs and, you know, business-to-business type of stuff that we do. And, you know, what, what do we have in our research and development lab, which is the bar across the street? Yeah. <laughs> the tiniest? It uh, it alternates between Tiny's and, and the Reed Street uh, Pub. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Reed Street Pub and Tiny's are our uh, our R and D sandbox. I can say I've been to both. Our Google Labs, if, if you will. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, but it was great. It was really wonderful. Very energetic. Lots and lots of people. Um, and as you know, I stopped exhibiting there at, at when we were. I'm too young for this because literally, and this is not a snide, but everyone's there to just take your stuff. Your okay. pens and your pins and your you know, no one takes your flyers, so everyone that comes from all over the world they come home with like thirty thousand pens each. Yeah, that's usually how those conferences are. Yeah, and it's just not really worth. It. I don't want to spend money for doctors to take their pens back to Australia and New Zealand and India, you know, and not even know who who we are. So this conference is international. Oh, it's totally global. Like okay. like 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 hundred countries. Are Chicago there. doesn't wow. know what hit it when this thing goes on. You know the the. The what the hell the McCormick place, which yeah. is the it's like eleven thousand times bigger than the Javits Center. It's one of the largest wow. convention centers. I remember I went there in twenty eleven with you when we didn't really know what the heck we were doing there. Right. And uh like Club Genentech was bumping in the middle. Yeah, know, like like a coffee bar and Oh, they were giving away all sorts of, I mean they can't give away a lot of things anymore, but they do have these like ice machines and cappuccino bars and frozen yogurt. It was amazing what they could do out there. Um, it's amazing what they can do while still being regulated. Anyway, mm-hmm. anyway, speaking of exhibiting, Kenny, you are leaving tomorrow. I am heading out on the first flight out to San Diego for another four-letter uh, San Diego? oncology association. Oh, Wales, vagina. Mm. <laughs> headed to the Association of Oncology Social Workers, yeah. where I will interface with the nation's premier... Social workers. Those, that's an important group to talk to because that They're, is very important for young adults who are in who are diagnosed with cancer because it's so difficult on the families. It's difficult on you. It's shocking. It's not like you're 60 years old get a mammogram and they say you're breast cancer. I'm assuming if you're 60 and get breast cancer, you kind of shrug your shoulders like, well, right. this day was coming. But not to downplay it. Sorry that it came out bad, but 
uh, it's very important that young adults get proper mental care and emotional care in addition to chemotherapy, radiation surgery, whatever it is that you're... Agreed. And I think it's been be. a couple of years since we've been there. I don't know if we were there last year or the year before. So it was, yeah, I think it was like 2010 was the last time we were there. So it'll be good to get back there and see the peeps. Well, the last time we were there, we were like kind of nobodies. And what was the last time you guys went? 2010. Okay. And now we're somebodies. Now we're people. Now, now we you have, have 80,000 fans on Facebook. Yes. With a 5 million impression post. Yeah, that, that was a hell of a viral... Post we What's got it, up there. What does impression mean? That that many people saw every, it? Yeah, every time it shows up in a news feed, it's an impression. Wow. So when you see all the crap, like your friend's wedding and then your friend's kids, you're you're an impression. Lucky me. Yes. You're so who is that girl in the in the picture? Uh, let me pull up her name. She just sent you that image? Yeah, it was just a, a, a little Facebook message to the wall on uh, Friday afternoon. Uh, it is Catherine Warwick. I think she's from... Uh, Virginia. And she just finished treatment? Yeah, so she had ordered a $5 tank top in our sale last month. Right. Or two months ago. Yeah. And she wore her stupid cancer tank top to her 18th and last chemo. So I posted it and I said, let's give her some digital high fives. And people did just that. Yeah, what are we up to? 4.4 million now? Yeah, it's, it's uh, incredible. It has 2,886 shares, 360,000 likes. It has almost 5,000 comments and 4.43 million impressions. That is I viral. wonder if she read all the comments. Well, yeah. she knows, too. She thanked. She wrote a blog about it. She wrote a blog about well, it. Well, that's and pretty impressive. She also, and on the, you can, like, reply in comments now. Yes. So her, thank you, everybody. It, it got 476 likes and 52 replies. Sub-replies, yeah. That alone. Yeah. yeah. I would have to turn my iPhone off. <laughs> yeah. It was just uh amazing, really amazing stuff. Very so cool. So AOSW again, it, it is the social workers who work in oncology, many mm-hmm. of whom are aware of pediatric adolescent young adult uh universe. Mm-hmm. Um but they largely treat older Americans, which is, you know, ninety four percent of all cancers. But a lot of them are under fifty, under forty years old and they they think we're cool and mm-hmm. trust me, you will be the most popular booth there. Thank you for that boost of confidence. Yes. And it's <clears throat> I'm proud this year to say that I'm bringing just enough stuff because historically we've always come back with stuff right. where you're begging people to take your... Are you going to sell stuff there? No, I don't think it's the, an appropriate forum. Uh, no, it, will, it is. I will plenty, it, it's C4W-ish, trust me. There are retailers that, that are there. We can discuss this yeah. after the show. At at the, at the, uh, yes. the the Google Labs, yes, <laughs> across the street, exactly. Well, yeah, that was great. So, ASCO AOSW, this viral video, um, lots lots of super cool, super cool stuff. Going big on. week, big week. Yep. All right. Well, let's get to our uh, our first guest here tonight. I'm really excited to talk about our neighbors to the north, hearing personal stories and learning. You know, destigmatizing any myths or rumors and set the record straight. Anyway, Jean LaMancha is pretty awesome. She's an author. She's a young adult survivor. She is, she's a dietitian. Um, no, I'm reading this wrong. Never mind. I'll let her introduce herself. Please welcome to the show, Jean LaMancha. Jean. Hi there. Hi. How you doing? I read your bio all wrong, so just. No, you. that was exactly correct. You're yeah. on you the are? right path. 
Pardon? All right, I'll, then I'll start over again. No, I'm kidding. I'm yeah. Kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Mulligan. So Hodgkin's lymphoma. She's from Toronto. So that's right. I was. I'm accurate so far. Okay. So anyway, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks for joining Stupid Cancer Canada. We haven't done a show on our neighbors of the north and the survivor stories up there in quite a while. Super. So, I'm, I'm glad to be uh, representing my nation. <laughs> You're on the an ambassador, air. cultural attaché, we'll call you. You're right. So I just love to get started by you, just where it all began. Tell us about your life when, before. Uh, we we love to you know get people angry when they hear that you were, you know, not treated the right way or went through hoops. It, it you know, it's it's the young adult cancer narrative. So. What was your journey towards Hodgkin's lymphoma? Well, you know, there was a bit of that, um, you know, misdiagnosis stuff. But um, my journey was, I think the interesting twist on this was that I was already a dietitian. I had done a four-year honors degree at university. I had done a clinical internship. I had worked with cancer patients. And uh, when I started to have this pain in my neck, I was uh, working in the diabetes. <laughs> no, <laughs> just what it felt like was a stiff neck. And I remember um, working in diabetes education center and saying, "Oh, this stiff neck." And the nurses that I worked with said, "Jean, you've had that stiff neck for a week now. I think you should go see the doctor." So that's one thing about working with nurses; they they don't let you get away with stuff. So I did, but of course, at my young age, it, it was missed. And one thing I'll um, I remember telling my doctor at the time is that this uh, stiff neck was had, was a little strange because if I would drink alcohol, which, you know, 20-somethings do occasionally, I had a pain that would just shoot down my arm. And the doctor said, of course, that makes no sense. So um, then, you know, that job finished and being in my 20s, you know, the contract was done. I took off. I went to Mexico. I traveled through Central America. I was tired when I was down there. And my, the host father where I was living in Mexico studying Spanish said, uh, oh, you know, all the, all the um, people that come here, you know, it's the altitude that, you know, that happens. So. And eventually I um, g- got home, and I think it was about six months later um, that, you know, finally, you know, I went to a blood uh, donor clinic in the mall. I donated blood. It was probably, I think, my fifth time being a blood donor. And um, then I started to develop symptoms that initially were, you know, misdiagnosed as bronchitis. But, you know, a couple of days later, I went to my family doctor and had a chest X-ray, and that's when the whole process started for me of, um, you know, the cancer diagnosis. When you donated blood, did they ever get in touch with you and say something was off? Because doesn't Hodgkin show up on your white count? Well, uh, it was actually the other way around. So I had given blood, I think, on the Friday, and by, you know, the Tuesday, this was not looking good. So I called um, the blood donation service, and I said, don't use my blood. Okay. Because I was, I'm not feeling well, and I was told, you know, I have an option of two different things, and they're both cancer, so, you know, please withdraw my blood from the system. And I've never been able to give blood since. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was my my last time, and I must say though, you know, having been a, a dietitian already, the funny thing is, you know, I, I remember a friend saying, you know, I heard about the certain vitamin, I think you should take this, and I was like, should I? 
should I? I I don't know. And it's like, I've already got a degree in nutrition plus an internship. And I remember asking my doctor, you know, what should I eat? And he just said, you know, eat a balanced diet. But it's part of the reason, you know, flash forward, you know, 17 years that I wrote my book, The Essential Cancer Treatment Nutrition Guide and Cookbook, because as someone who was already a dietitian, a nutrition professional, and I, I didn't even know, you know, where to begin or how to answer questions from people about, oh, should I take this certain vitamin or should I not? So I know people need help with, with nutrition. So I was really proud to, uh, to bring this book out. Uh, you, you know, when I think I have that unique perspective of being a cancer survivor, and I remember very clearly my own cancer journey, even though it was a long time ago, and then you know, four years ago, looking after my dad being part of his care team when, when he um, went through his cancer struggle. So you're not just a hair club president, you're also a client. Exactly. So so what was it like to be to have gone through cancer and then to have to be a caregiver to your parent? Well, I um, it, it was interesting. I remember my dad... Um, he was he, he had already um, metastasized to the liver. It started in his gallbladder, they think, and he went for the meeting. He was all gung-ho to do the chemotherapy and, and do the treatment, and I wasn't at that appointment, and he came back from that and explained it to me, and he said, they said, it, you know, I'm going to be sick from it and all this stuff, but he goes, I've had the flu before. You know, uh, you know, I can handle it, and I remember thinking in my mind, I didn't say this to him, but I remember thinking, oh, my God, Dad, this is going to be like the worst flu you could ever imagine. Because that's certainly what chemotherapy was like for me. Like, I can't ever imagine, mm-hmm. or I've never been that sick for that long. And uh, sure enough, it was pretty It was pretty horrendous. So, But um, I, I really was um, able to, to help my dad. But at the same time, I wasn't really as immersed in uh, oncology professionally as, you know, even just, you know, four years ago to help him. Like, I really... Um, but at least at that point, there was the internet, right? There was, you know, mm-hmm. I could research. I knew how to find information. Well, Doctor Google. I really Google. felt like, yeah, Doctor Google. Doctor Google's exactly. a blessing and a curse. Well, in my case, it's uh, I tend to go to Doctor PubMed, which is, um, oh, okay. where, you know, where a lot of professionals go. But then you're reading like the, you know, the research articles, which I find is, um, I, I like to do that rather. I, I'll do Google a little bit, but. You know, my professional skepticism is always in there. And when I read things, I always want to know the reference because I want to go back and read the original article. And I find so many, um, you know, professionally written articles that, you know, talk about the research says or the study shows are missing the actual reference to the study, which drives me bananas. And, well, and that's books like every, will come out every, without that. Every infomercial that says clinically proven by whom? Exactly, and I'm one of those people who, when I buy a, a book, even if it's written for consumers, I always want to flip to the back, and I will actually go and look up the research and, and read the article to see really does it pertain specifically to my situation. And, and sometimes I'm, I'm really put off by authors who will you know, reference some rat study and not tell you in the book that, oh, by the way, this was done with you know, 12 rodents. But mm-hmm. yeah, they're talking about study show or evidence show. So I um, I really got onto uh, Dr. PubMed to to help my dad. But a lot of it, you know, it was it was too late, you know, because you're waiting until the problem comes up before you're, you know, 
getting on there and and finding yeah. the answers. I'm on PubMed, and I think I think it would. Wow, it is very clinical. It is not yeah. for the faint of heart. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Jean, let me ask you this then. Uh, we we've done a lot of um, boots on the ground programs about nutrition and um, dieting and wellness, uh, and also on the radio show as well. The 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 biggest flack the audience, the crowd, always gives the experts is, well, I can't afford that, or there's nothing near me, or, you know, how do I know, blah, 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 blah. So there's always this whole, you know, it's, it's, this makes sense, we should do this, but in the real world, what can we actually do? Do you face that? Well, uh, I'm also a, a program leader at, at an organization called Wellspring. They're a cancer support agency, and and so yes, I'm dealing with people on a on a regular basis who are in cancer treatment or or out of it, and talking to them about nutrition and their nutrition questions. And what I try and do really is, I, I don't try and give advice that is going to instill guilt, right? Like if people are asking me, um, you know, they'll say something like. Um, you know, I know salmon is anti-inflammatory, it has lots of omega-3, but my, my husband doesn't like it or my kids won't eat it or, you know, no one in my family eats this. So I'm already picking up that, you you know, how I can approach this because I don't want to say, well, you got to eat this because, okay, then this person is, um, you know, cooking two different dinners, right? Or then they are, if they're not doing it, then they're feeling guilty that they should be, right? And and I my approach is, is always to you know, distill um, or, you know, relieve that guilt and just let them know about little changes that they can do and, and things that they can help themselves. So uh, if something is not accessible or something is too expensive for someone, I'll try and find a solution or find what good thing they are doing, right, so they, they can feel good about it. The other thing that I find comes up around nutrition is that um, they feel afraid or nervous. Like, for example, you know, my number one question is, you know, breast cancer patients are always asking me about soy, and they're mm-hmm. avoiding soy. And then I tell them, well, you know, 2009, 2010, 2011, there are all some big studies that are coming out showing that we don't need to be fearful of soy, even if you have estrogen receptor positive breast cancer or you're on tamoxifen. In fact, these studies are showing that there's a benefit that the, the women in these studies who consumed more soy had um, lower risk of recurrence. Well, there's and also I the factor feel- that if you're eating soy, you're probably living a healthier lifestyle in general rather than having, you know, piles of red meat, which we already know are, you know, not particularly mm-hmm. good for you. So my question is, uh, you know, what factor do you think that diet and nutrition and environmental factors play into cancer, especially in young adults, um, especially in the United States where everyone lives off processed and fattening food. Every, you know, obesity is rampant, running wild. It's not getting any better considering Dr. Donuts is coming out with bacon, egg, and cheese on a donut. So what do you think that factors like this play into people getting cancer? People getting cancer? <laughs> well, yeah, I think, you know, if you... Um, Look at the AICR, the American Institute for Cancer Research, who you know devote themselves to looking at diet and nutrition and exercise. They'll tell you that it's a significant percentage uh, that's contributed to that. Like, uh, I think uh, they put it, you know, two thirds of cancers 
uh, are lifestyle related and that, you know, cancer is now a chronic disease just like diabetes and heart disease and, and lifestyle is a huge contributor. So, I mean, they've got the evidence and I'm, um, you know, I certainly believe them and I, and, uh, I do think it, it plays an important role. And what role do you think? I'm sure. Go ahead. um, I also think not only does the food play a role in terms of, you know, the biochemistry of your body and, you know, how, let's say, the phytonutrients work and the antioxidants and all that stuff, but also you feel better. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think that, oh, you know, I'm eating a healthy diet, it's going to help me just the same as these, these women if they're fearful of soy, even though the data says something different, and I say, don't do it. Like, if you're going to be eating this soy and being afraid that it's going to, you know, promote your breast cancer, then it's not worth it for you. And so the opposite is true. Um, if you're feeling good about the food you're eating, I, I think that that has a, a beneficial effect. And what do you also think about, you know, when someone's in remission, the fact, you know, a big role alcohol plays in the young adult movement uh you know this frequently hits people who there might be a time in their life when they're more likely to go to bars go to happy hours uh you know what do you in your professional opinion also as a survivor what role do you think alcohol do you think you know the studies are always changing on alcohol especially Mm -hmm. you know i i had breast cancer so i read a lot on breast cancer but across the board the recommendations change all the time so what do you think about you know just social drinking. Right. Well, um, I happen to have the big manual from the AICR, and so I know the overall recommendations for everyone to prevent cancer is, you know, to limit for women one drink a day and for men two drinks a day, and to, which doesn't mean it's not the same as seven drinks a week, right? So you don't save them all up and drink them all on Friday night. So... Um, I know that's the general recommendation, but, you know, for a young adult who's concerned about, you know, a recurrence of their particular type of cancer, then I would look up, you know, their particular type and see, you know, is there a relationship to alcohol, and that might help to relieve some guilt knowing that they're they're going out and binging. Although, you know, I'm not looking for an excuse for them to go out on an alcohol binge because I, you know, I believe that, you know, if we, if we have one type of cancer cell in our body maybe maybe there are others so we don't just have to focus on the diet specific to the type of cancer that they had once you know we have to look at the general recommendations too so Jean, we have about uh three minutes left or so and this show is called stupid cancer canada and being ignorant stupid americans we always hear completely disparate opinions of your healthcare system uh, what was your experience with the Canadian healthcare system through your diagnosis and treatment? It, well, of course, it's all I know, but it it was great. I cannot um, I cannot fault it at all. It was really it was super. Saved my life. Mm-hmm. And how much did the entire experience cost you out of pocket? Out of pocket. Um, Probably under a hundred dollars, I would oh say. Oh my good God! <laughs> I did my taxes, and I have. Uh, in, I did my taxes in February or whenever I did them, and I have really good insurance. And mine was like in five digits. Yeah, yeah my well, see, treatment. My, my treatment was eight hundred thousand dollars. Oh, what you owed? <laughs> it was what it cost. Oh, oh, mine was oh. astronomical, but my out-of-pocket was like five figures with uh, 
insane insurance. My are out of pocket with my my dad. Uh, it's probably close to six figures. Oh yeah. Yeah, but it took wow. four years to fight the insurance companies too. Yeah, no, none of that here. And then, of course, I had six months of chemotherapy, had a month of daily radiation. I had one um, drug that I had to take, CGSF, which was not on the Ontario drug formulary at that point. And I was, I had done this contract job and then gone traveling, so I didn't have, um, I wasn't employed at the time, and um, I wasn't covered. So they said, okay, we'll. Um, it's going to cost quite a bit, so we'll just write this special um, letter to the government and ask for special dispensation for you so it'll be covered. And that was it. Like, I didn't even have to do any of the paperwork. And so I think I just, you know, just out of pocket for a few things. And then parking, which parking, though, we claim that expense on our income tax because we had to travel more than, I think, 120 kilometers to receive the treatment. So even that, there was some um, write-off for that. And then home care. I had a home care nurse coming to the house, and that was covered. And, you know, the other um, complaint I know sometimes Americans will make is that, you know, Canadians have to wait too long for their treatment. Um, you know, so it might not cost them anything, but they have to wait. And I, I mind you, my treatment was, you know, many years ago now, 17 years ago, but I, I don't think my wait was excessive. I don't know how it would be in the U.S., but when it first looked like I had Hodgkin's, I did have to wait to get the appointment to have surgery. So let's say I waited five days or a week for the surgery, and then I had to wait maybe a week for the pathology, and then I had to wait a week to get my CAT scan, and then I had to wait a week to get my appointment with the oncologist. So That's you know, better than this the, country. Is it? Okay. In some cases, so, I mean, yeah. By the time yeah, I got the are. oncologist, it had been a month, but... Um, it was just waiting for all this staging and pathology, and so yeah, I was I was certainly very grateful uh, for the healthcare system, and you know you just didn't have to worry about money and fighting with insurance companies. So right, it's great. Well, Jean, I, I can't tell you how much we appreciate your sharing your story. Um, if we ever do a stupid cancer event up in Canada, and the topic of wellness and nutrition. Uh, and diet clearly is one of the hot buttons. Um, we'd love to have you come and speak. I would love that. Oh Toronto is one of my so favorite great. cities. It's so damn clean and it's so damn under construction. I've never been. Yeah. <laughs> I've been oh. to Montreal and I got yelled at in French. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Can I exactly. swear in French on the on Blog Talk Radio? You can, radio swear, in any swear in any language. We are not regulated. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Rude de mail. There you go. Okay. And you're with the French Canadian Corps. <laughs> exactly. Getty, wow. Well, Jean, thank you so much. Uh, we'll be in touch. Uh, good luck to you. Take care. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. Jean right. everybody. All right. Let's get up the news here. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Kenny? All right, Matthew, head on over to events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something will be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Matt, we have a ton of stuff coming up. We have meetups in Denver, Colorado, Casper, Wyoming, Astoria, New York, San Clemente, California, Durham, North Carolina, and the We Spark reoccurring event. Probably not the best use of the word reoccurring. <laughs> it, 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 it occurs monthly. In Los Angeles. And OMG East. And OMG East. 
this September. Last weekend in September was that the 20th? 28th. 28th. We'll be officially launching it in about two weeks. Save the date. Save the date, exactly. All right, the Stupid Cancer Forums have about 5,000 members. This is a premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Uh, visit stupidcancerforums.org and sign up with Facebook. Matthew, the newly relaunched, redesigned, and beautified Stupid Cancer Store has scores of awesome products for sale right now. Use coupon code MATTHEWSTINKS and save nothing. <laughs> we, have, we have pins, stickers, lanyards, t-shirt, hoodies. Be awesome. Survive. Wear stupid cancer. And that is your Stupid, stupid cancer, cancer News. We have way too much. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. It is time to bring out our trinity of awesome. Uh, returning champion to the show, Mikey Lang, is a four-year Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor. Uh, he is a passionate uh, young adult cancer advocate. He is a, an amazing storyteller and filmmaker. Uh, the director of Survive and Thrive Expeditions, a full-time student, and uh, the program coordinator with Cancer Control Alberta. Deb Bridgman is a three-time breast cancer survivor who was diagnosed at 30 years of age. She's an exercise fanatic. Okay, we'll talk about young adults in shape that get cancer. A single mom to two amazing daughters and a full-time volunteer with several young adult cancer groups in Canada. And Dawn Cleary is the community manager for CancerFightClub.com, a new online support portal for young adults dealing with cancer. And while living with metastatic breast cancer, she's an avid volunteer and an aspiring marathoner. All right, please welcome Dawn Deb and Mikey Lang to the Stupid Cancer Show. Hey guys. Hey guys. Hi. Hey Deb. Quite a, a this is quite the resume it's of a, all three people. It's a diversity. Is it all about diversity? Mm-hmm. And Canadian like diversity at that. <laughs> yeah, Canadians are all about diversity too. So great. As long as you keep saying a boot, I'll, I will keep you on the air. <laughs> <laughs> I said that just for you guys. I knew you loved it last time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mikey. By the way, congratulations on releasing all the new, uh, uh, the new. Uh, I don't know what you call them, shorts. Yeah, I guess web series. That's what we were right. calling it. That, yep, yeah, that's exactly what journeys, right? Valleys, yeah. Valleys. I was called. Great. I knew it was plural. Yeah. <laughs> Like plural. Yeah. Ben has a limited brain capacity. <laughs> I do have a very limited. My my brain is a valley. So there you go. <laughs> awesome. So I know you guys yeah. are listening in on um on, on Gene's uh, piece. Obviously, we do want to talk about. I want to leverage the fact that you, you live in Canada, and we have idiots that live in this country who think you're horrible people with terrible health care and <laughs> socialism and Mussolini running your you know your government. But it's not that. I've never really heard. I've been to Toronto. I've been to Montreal. I, I've been to Vancouver. I've met so many Canadians who have had cancer, and I don't hear any horrible things going on there. So I, I'd love for each of you to just, you know, let's let's take three or four minutes each and let the audience, let the listenership know your story through the lens of being Canadian. So let's start with Dawn. Well, first let me tell you that the French cursing made me feel very much at home. I'm quite happy to be on the on the line with you guys, and thank you for that warm welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I actually almost puked when you said that your treatment cost more than a hundred or eight hundred thousand dollars because one of the things that I haven't luckily had to worry about um, since being diagnosed is is money. Um, all of my treatments have been covered 
the portions that I were that I was on that wasn't um, that I paid for. So oral medications were covered by partially by the government and partially by my uh, private insurance, and so money really hasn't been an issue. But I, I was really shocked when you said how much that uh, how much that had cost for you. Well, what's interesting is the study just came out recently about the number how there's a large number of people when they have cancer they go bankrupt, and it is ungodly expensive in this country in the United States to get mm. health coverage, especially for a serious illness where you're living at the doctor and getting these expensive drugs. But we'll continue. We'll we'll get back to that in a minute. Long live yeah, medical bankruptcy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not to say that, that I shouldn't say that money is not an issue at all. The cost of treatment is not an issue, but money definitely becomes an issue when you're a young person who is in university and you have student loans and suddenly have to move back in with your parents and you don't have an income, um, or you're somebody who's in a new career and you have to suddenly stop working and then you don't have that income. That's when money becomes an issue. But as far as paying for treatment is concerned, I think in general we don't have to worry too much about that. One less thing to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, the, the the whole point is, like, it still sucks when you're a young adult anyway, but if you can eliminate at least one thing that super sucks, then it, you're already ahead of the curve. That's right, exactly. So let's go to Deb here. Um, I love the fact that you were an exercise fanatic that got cancer. It's like the word irony should be its own ironic word. Well, the good thing about... Uh, the good thing about it, exercising is that I continue to do it, even though I'm still um, I'm still battling cancer after uh, after actually 19 years. Um, but exercise has always kept me. Uh, I, I think it's always kept me healthier. <laughs> I, I I joke with people so often that I'm I'm really really healthy except for this damn cancer. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. Like I I. I'm in great shape. Um, I do a lot of martial arts. And um, other than, you know, like I said, other than the cancer, I'm in great, I'm I'm really doing well. And I have to say with Don, um, what Don was saying about uh, paying for the medication and stuff, we're very lucky here. Um, I, I've, I've had a certain amount out of, po- out of pocket that I've had to pay uh, on a yearly basis, but the, the majority of it, paid through my private insurance and through the government. But I mean there is a there is a small amount out of pocket but holy shit it's like it's under $1000. Right. Compared to what like what and and I I take a lot of medication every year. So I I think we're really lucky here. Were you um a parent before you got sick or did you have your children after your diagnosis? I had my kids before. I had my kids actually quite young. I was I was uh, in my early twenties. So um, when I was diagnosed, I was thirty. So my kids were seven and three when I was first diagnosed. Can you talk about what that was like to have to explain this to young children? Well, uh, you know, my kids uh, actually were dealing with the fact that uh, that their parents just split up because I had I had left my husband at the time. Um, he was a chronic alcoholic, and I left him. And two months later, I was diagnosed with cancer. So it was more—it was more the older one that really saw a lot, felt a lot. Um, but I really included them in everything I did. I brought them to the hospital for visits, like for when I had to go for my my checkups or my treatments or uh, 
for any scans, I would bring them. And, I mean, everybody loved them at the hospital. They felt like it was their second home. I didn't, I didn't want to, like, um, like, pretend that I was going somewhere and not tell them where I was going to have a treatment. I would bring them. I would include them. It, I mean, you know, let's face it. As they got older and then I was diagnosed again, it was a little bit harder. They understood more. And then, of course, the third time I was diagnosed, of course, they were teenagers at the time, and it was like it, it hit even harder. And you know what? They're they're in their 20s right now, and I was just diagnosed again, and it's hitting even harder. Like you can't you can't get used to something like this. But the main thing is, is I've always included them in everything. And right, they and, never and this felt is this is the narrative for the young adult. Mm -hmm. We did an entire, like, large workshop on parenting through cancer, which is an entirely young adult issue. You're not dealing, unless you're Tony Randall, you're not dealing with infants when you're 75 years old. Mm -hmm. And you're also coupled that with living with cancer as a chronic recurring condition as well. So raising children in an environment like that is something that, is worthy of, of narrative and dialogue. So thank you for sharing that with us because the whole point is to messages that we're, we may not be special, but we're very different. And this is exactly what the Young Adult Cancer Movement's about. So thank you for that. And, and God bless you for being here. That, that's just, you know, it's the whole, I'm just turned 39 and like, fuck it, I'm still here. It's good stuff. Yeah. Yep. So, so Mikey, returning champion BFF here. Um, you had uh, are you are you four years out now or are you five years out now? I'm four years out. Yeah. Okay. So I got one more year to the the magic number five. Because we we met you at the alliance meeting or even maybe before the alliance meeting and I don't know was it '09 or or when did you release the first film? Uh it was in '010 actually when we did 010? the first film. Yeah, when it when it actually came out. That's when we were down at Livestrong. Yeah. Okay. Very so, cool. Well, let, let's let's tell the crowd about your your Hodgkin's diagnosis. Yeah, well, you know, I guess viewing the lens from Canada versus U.S., you know, maybe I'll say this one thing, that um, if you do have insurance in the States, uh, the one great thing is that you guys have almost instant access to everything. And that, that maybe is the one thing, even though in Canada we don't have to pay anything, and I didn't have to pay anything just like uh, um, those guys talked about, but it was the fact that it took me a year and a half to actually get into the doctor to see, um, you know, figure out what was actually going on. And I know that happens a lot down in the States, too, but I think there there are some access issues because things are so, um, so everything's free, right? So anyone can go at any time to, to, to the doctor, and that causes causes some access issues where that doesn't happen as much in the States. But uh, same, same deal for me. You know, I didn't have to pay anything, um, but it did, a year and a half went by before they found it, and then by then it was a grapefruit-sized tumor in the middle of my chest and pretty bad news. And, you know, I think... Probably almost every young adult in Canada has at least, you know, a very significant delayed diagnosis, um, partly because of sort of how the system is set up. So, yeah, that, that's maybe the comment I'd make on the difference in my experience um, compared to what I've heard from some people down in the U.S. So, Mikey, yeah. well, my question for you is, you know, you were a young adult when you were diagnosed, and one of the big things that we all face as a young adult survivor is fertility. So what's what happens with fertility treatments in Canada? Is that something you have to pay out of pocket for? Is that something that the government covers and pays for? 
Uh, yeah, you got to pay out of pocket for it. As far as I know, there's there's a there's definitely a group in Canada, and there's different uh, like uh, Fertile Hope or Fertile Future. There's a few different people who will help you with some copays for stuff like that. But um, for me, you know, um, uh, two hours before I start, I was about to start chemo. I went in, and did my blood work and stuff, and and the nurse was looking through my chart, and she's like, "Oh, have you thought about you know sperm banking?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I didn't know I was supposed to do that." And so. She said, oh, yeah, just run across the street to this place and come back right away because you're starting chemo in two hours. So I just sort of, just like that, went and did it, and it cost a few hundred dollars, and luckily we were able to, to cover that. But, uh, few but yeah, hundred dollars? I, I, there are ways to sort of help with that. Sorry? It's like a it's few hundred dollars. It's a, I was quoted $11,000 to freeze my eggs. But he's a guy. Whoa. I know, I know. It's a we're, lot a little, we're a little simpler. Don, Don, Deb, uh, okay. do you guys have to deal with fertility and, and, and any out-of-pocket costs for that? <clears throat> That's not something that um, that I had to deal with personally, but I think that um, as Mikey was talking, he sort of reminded me that in Canada, um, things can be very different, different province to province. Um, so I know, for example, that recently in Quebec, um, there was some parts of um, fertility preservation that are now covered for people who are um, in cancer treatment, but I don't think that there are other provinces in Canada who are currently doing that. I was living in Quebec at the time, um, and so I would have had access to that had that been something that was, uh, you know, something that I needed. Um, I think that for me at the time of diagnosis, the disease was so far gone that we, I, there was no time to think about that. Um, so I just had to dive right into treatment, and that was the most important thing for me at the time. Um, but I know that for other women who were in Quebec, I know that they had access to um, some fertility treatments that were covered by the government of Quebec. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Deb, did you have to deal with any of that? Well, uh, like I said, I had, I had had both my daughters before I was diagnosed. But the thing that, if I look back now, um, when I was 34, four years after the, after the initial diagnosis, um, I, was, I was recommended and, uh, to have my ovaries removed uh, because my tumors were estrogen positive. And if I remember back, um, it, like I wasn't, really, um, I wasn't really asked, I was, more, I was told. <laughs> and if, if, if I really wanted to have any more children, I mean, that was ripped right out of me. <laughs> There was no chance of me having any more children, and um, so I like I'm I'm blessed to have had both my daughters before I was diagnosed. So I I feel very blessed for that. And something else, I you just reminded me, Deb, that um, even though when I was diagnosed, the disease was was you know had spread, and I just needed to go into treatment like you know right away. Um, you know, contrary to what doctors were telling me at the time, which was you'll be in menopause for the rest of your life and you'll never have children, um, when I and when I went to see a fertility specialist who I thought might know a little more, someone also told me your ovaries are baked and 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 those were the precise words. If I could just point that out, that a professional <laughs> said to me. Oh, That's quality. Um, Quality <laughs> Good communication right there. All right. He was he was speaking in his second language, to be fair, but uh, <laughs> but still, um, yeah. Contrary to what I was being told, um, you know, I I actually I can have children if I want to now, um, which nobody saw happening, and so I think that that also sort of illustrates how um, I don't know if under 
educated is the right word, but or, or maybe just less aware that um, doctors are of the fertility issues that young adults do face who are yeah. about to go in treatment, who are in treatment, or who are post-treatment. And so, um, you know, I think that's something that we um, will be paying more close attention to in Canada um, soon. I'm I'm a part of, and I think, Mikey, I think you're a part of this too, the um, the Regional Action Partnership which is a subdivision of the Canadian Task Force on um, Adolescents and Young Adults with Cancer. And basically it's, it's a, a lot of really golden professionals, doctors, researchers, some of the best people in the country who are all getting together and saying, we need to change the care that's being given in this country to young adults, and that's one of the top things that we're talking about. So hopefully this is something that we'll see change um, over time. And, uh, Mikey, I think you're on the wrap too, right, the, the, for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's the problem. You know, right now, fertility is sort of an afterthought, if at all, right? People sort of think of it mm-hmm. two hours before last minute type of thing. And mm-hmm. and that, that needs to be front and center when people do their first uh, consults. And so, yeah, that's what we're working on changing right now. Right, right and that, that leads me to sort of the larger questions are, you know, here in the States, since uh, since I've been involved in advocacy for young adults in like 2006, there has been significant progress but not much change that mm. where – uh, I mean, I was diagnosed in the Stone Age when Clinton was president, so I, I, I kind of forgive history for not being there for me. But these days, young adults are still not being made aware of their fertility rights or access to age-appropriate peer support or groups like, you know, Fertile Future or First Descents or whatever um, as sort of standards of care, despite the fact that groups like ASCO, I was just there, have initiatives called Focus Under 40, and there's something in the States called the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, which builds the standards of care in documents um, about what doctors should, not should, but what doctors must do when dealing with breast cancer or childhood cancer or whatever. And there's a young adult standard guide now for that that's not being adhered to. So it is do those types of things transfer over to Canada, or do you guys have your own initiatives like the ones you were describing? You know, the the, the, the guidelines that ASCO created, yeah, they're they're up here, and actually it's one of the things that I'm using to try and get a, you know, a young adult program in our local cancer center here in Calgary. That's one of the guidelines that we use, but you know, it's the exact same problems, right? You have all these guidelines, but our people actually follow them or using them, and, and really, you know, ultimately that's that's why I work now at the cancer center because uh, you got to have a constant presence there to c- continually reinforce this idea of, you know, young adults, uh, you know, need something something different, you know, in that we need to sort of shape our systems better to to work with them, and you know, if you don't have that constant pressure, people will sort of just go back um, to the status quo, right? And I think that's what we've seen is that despite all these great documents that are being produced, there's actually no change happening, and that's uh, that's going to be the biggest challenge i think in the next few years in this in canada specifically but you know in the u.s for sure even though you guys do have some great young adult programs starting to pop up around the country um that's that's really where we got to go now we've got the background we got the documents now we need some actions we need some change right and what are some of the young adult groups up there i've known jeff eaton for probably 10 years now and i know young adult cancer canada um does a lot of are you guys i, I think you guys are involved with them in in, in some capacity correct yeah, well, I think we um, probably, 
Well, I know that I met I met Deb that way um, at a Young Adult Cancer Canada retreat, um, and I think uh, I think Mikey, you and I met on um, actually one of the Survive and Thrive trips that that you yeah. and Bonnie do. Um, and, but we're, we're we're all sort of there are a few groups in Canada um, <laughs> who, thankfully, over the last. I'd say five years at least there there have been more sort of growing, which is really great, but we all try to work together um, and uh, certainly survive and thrive is one of them and um, cancer fight club who cancerfightclub.com um, who I work for um, we're sort of new on the block and um, trying to um, sort of you know bridge the gaps between organizations who are serving young adults in in Canada um, and they they're a website that's a project of hope and cope and Hope and Cope, Deb can tell you a little bit about too. Um, but they've been around for more than 30 years, and um, you know, providing care to people who are dealing with cancer, especially young adults, for probably young adults, probably I think for more than 20 years. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we're all sort of involved with a bunch of these groups. Rethink Breast Cancer is another big one who Deb volunteers with, and I volunteer with, and uh, um, there are a few really core groups who are doing great things, and we try to work closely together. Yeah, we know we all know about each other. That's for sure. <laughs> and shout out to Scott Adams who couldn't make the show. Yeah, it's a big shout out to Scott and Suzanne Bridgman. Yeah. Right. Suzanne, o- Suzanne O'Brien. O'Brien. Oh, sorry, Deb Bridgman, Suzanne O'Brien. You just extended Deborah's family. <laughs> You're right. And, and Suzanne is only my boss. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, Mikey, we wanted to ask you a little bit about your films, what you're doing, telling people stories who had cancer, and what you're doing to raise awareness. Yeah, well, yeah, I, you know, I love filmmaking, you know, and I love telling stories through film. I think, you know, the, my favorite quote in the world is, you know, facts bring us to knowledge, but stories lead to wisdom. And uh, that that's really what I'm hoping these films can do for people is, is give an example or give a, give a picture of what it is to live well with with cancer, you know, what is to get out there and live in it, you know, like the first ascent says, and and uh, yeah, get busy living, like you said, right? And so um, we're we're still working on a new project actually, because I love films, but um, we're also using them uh, now uh, in the in the clinic, which is pretty cool. And so I presented a bunch of conferences with these films and show them to psychologists and social workers, and a lot of them now are using them sort of as a, as a tool to talk to young adults and to counsel families and to um, you know, just help people work through those issues. And so it is, as well as raising awareness about the specific issues young adults young adults face, um, we're starting to use them more, I guess, in a clinical setting as well as online, you know, freely available for, for any young adult survivor to watch. And and the great part is now I'm actually back in school, I'm learning how to how to research, I guess, the the impact of film and how it actually does help people. Because people, you know, we don't really know what happens when someone watches it? Does it actually help them live better? Does it give them information to make the rest of their life the best of their life? You know, is there any way that they um, can take learning from that film and actually apply it? And so that's what my research is now. And uh, so we're going to be doing a lot more films in the near future. Pretty excited about that. And what's the uh, what's the reception been to the new to the new series with Valleys? I, you know, it's been great. We we've gotten. <laughs> It's incredible, you know, it's our first one that we've published sort of online on the Huffington Post, so it's pretty easy to find um, And uh, when people search the name and stuff like that. So we've had people all over the world um, emailing us and, and talking about it. we got someone from the, the Faroe Islands, which is like near Iceland, <laughs> phoned wow. me up the other day. 
Yeah, it's pretty cool. I never talked to anyone from the Faroe Islands before, and uh, but yeah, she she found it somehow, and it, and she'd watched it with her family, and it really helped open these lines of communication with her and her um, family members, and that's the goal of Valleys really is to sort of uh, yeah open lines of communication and give people a platform to share their stories from, because a lot of times you know you sit down with your family and you say you know. Uh, you, you know that something's wrong. You know that you don't feel right about how your relationships are working, um, but you don't know exa- exactly how to say it or how to articulate it. And so you can just watch this film and say, you know, see how Amy's feeling? That's how I feel. <laughs> and then you can start the conversation that way. So that's really what we've heard from most most people who've given us feedback. And we're actually doing a little bit of research around uh, that web series as well. So if it, if anyone listening has the time, at the end of Episode 6, there's a little link, and you can click on that and fill out a little survey going to help us really uh, have the tools to make better films in the future. So if you have a chance, that'd be great. So we have about, I don't know, four or five minutes left, and I, I would just like to hear from you guys. I want you to yell at America. I want you to tell us <laughs> that it ain't so bad up there, and we could learn a lot from, you know, the the, the lack of barriers that you have to some very significant things that we have significant burdens for in this country. Well, Matthew, first of all, Canadians are too polite to yell. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why don't you throw a hockey puck at me instead? Okay. <laughs> that, 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 that is perfectly acceptable, on the other hand. Okay. Um, but, no, I, I think that, um, you know, the issue about uh, time wait, I mean, what Mikey went through was terrible. I mean, waiting that long to see your doctor is awful. Um, and again, I think that province to province, there are many, you know, sort of differences. Um, I um, was in a different province when I was diagnosed, and I was ushered basically into treatment. I didn't ever have to wait for anything. My doctors would call the technicians who were supposed to do the scans while I was sitting in front of them to schedule it with me so that I could skip that extra step. Like, I mean, I felt like I had, like, the deluxe care. Um, so even though I wasn't paying for anything, I really didn't feel that weight that that some people feel. Um, and so I, I, I wouldn't be scared of that as a problem from my um, from my experience, at least. Yeah, you know, maybe the only thing that I would say is that uh, there's this sort of myth going around in the U.S., and I have a lot of American friends, I hear this, you know, that, that socialized medicine is just too expensive. You know, we can't afford it, um, you know. And uh, a lot of people don't realize that the U.S. spends um, more than double on health care every year than the closest country in the world to them. Um, and that's per capita, right? And so um, it just shows that, you know, that, that sometimes, you know, paying a little higher taxes here and there um, actually decreased costs in the long run and actually uh, allows people access to to, to these services that are so essential. And I think the ultimate thing that I've seen for young adults in Canada versus in the U.S. is that, um, you know, the, the financial challenges that you guys face in the U.S. really sort of stifle your life. You know, it really it sucks to hear people say, oh, I can't leave my job because I'll lose my insurance and I'll never get it back again. To me, that's heartbreaking because I want them to be free to go out and live their life the best way that they want. And maybe that means quitting their job and doing something else and not being trapped in it because of insurance and so i think that's as, as good as i can get at yelling <laughs> but, uh, that's what i would say <laughs> yeah that's one of the you know as you guys know health care 
in our country is a huge political issue, and I wish it wasn't yeah. because it becomes so partisan, the point that it's getting the Supreme Court, and that's just to get people more Medicaid. That's not even, and Medicaid has so many, you know, so much red tape and some whether doctors will take it and things like that. So are there any, so is it basically, so, okay, dumb it down for our viewers because I and put it in layman's terms. Is it every doctor is forced to take Canadian government insurance and you could just walk in and get treated anywhere? No, or make an appointment, get treated anywhere for anything. It's actually, every doctor is paid by the Canadian government, and so that's okay. what, that's how they go in. Yeah, so you just go in, and for every visit that a doctor sees, he gets paid a certain amount of money. And unfortunately, that leads to a whole lot of other problems, the way that they pay doctors. But I was just at a conference all last week about health care and uh, policy and research and all that stuff, and, and that's a big problem in itself. And, it, and by no means is Canada perfect. We're actually pretty low. Um, on the overall global scale for healthcare efficiency. Um, so, you know, I don't think you want to emulate Canada, but just the whole idea of being able to, to have universal access to medicine, I think, is, is, or to healthcare is a very important concept, I guess, to take away. All right, so we're going to wrap with a, a very controversial topic, and I'm going to pit the three of you against each <laughs> other. What is, the, what is the biggest loser province in Canada? If anybody says my home province are going down, no, no, Ontario. <laughs> I won't say the I won't say the worst, but I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say what I feel is the best, and I feel that Quebec <laughs> has the like the Jewish General Montreal Jewish General Hospital has is the one of the best in Canada. It's a teaching you hospital. Usually hospitals. I was thinking about hockey teams. I was like, we should probably <laughs> so was like, okay, all right, all right. And if that if that's the case, then then Ontario is the worst province by far. <laughs> the Maple Leafs are terrible. <laughs> mm. All right, I was going to go with the correct answer is Labrador. Now, Matthew Zachary, you just spoke to the wrong lady because I'm from Newfoundland and Labrador. And it's, yeah. it's, and it's not a separate thing. They're one thing, and they're Newfoundland I know, I know. and Labrador. I'm, I gotta I say, not going to incur Don's wrath and say Newfoundland. <laughs> right, how about just, we'll just go with Prince Edward Island because, you know, there you it's go. only good for clam, right? Okay. There's very few people there. There's very few people to offend in Prince Edward Island. So. All, right, cool. All right. So that's the official answer is, is, is PEI. There you go. <laughs> no, i got to tell you, I have, I have so many. I will say, honestly, my favorite is Quebec only because, and I say Quebec because I've been to the French portion of Quebec, Quebec City. Up there I went skiing there like, like 10 years in a row at Mont Saint-Blanc. And Mont Saint Anne, and the the walled city, and just living as if you're in Europe for a week, amazing, life changing. No one in America understands it exists, and more people need to go up there and experience it. Yes, and Quebec City is actually where I was living all through when I got diagnosed and getting treatment and everything. And you're right, Quebec City is magnificent, and I was really lucky to live there for a few years. Although well, then, I have to uh, say. Newfoundland and Labrador is pretty cool, too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I smell, smell a fight, a cage match here. I know. All right. So, all right. Last question, yes or no. Is poutine the cause of or solution to all of life's problems? Solution. Can I just say that it's not, can I just say it's not poutine? Uh-oh. Thank you, Deb. It's what is that? pronounced poutine. 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 Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. This looks amazing. We're, okay. They're 
French fries with brown gravy and cheese curds? Yes. It's, it's my oh breakfast. My poutine. God. Okay. That's oh, after, yeah. you, with your accent, it's poutine. I put it in a burrito. <laughs> <laughs> and then I blend it up. And deep fry it in this country. And put I it like between two donuts. Syrup. Right. Well, the the whole bacon cheese bacon or bacon egg cheese donut thing that you mentioned earlier. I mean, that sounds pretty crazy to me. Ugh, Americans are disgusting sometimes. <laughs> we suck. We totally suck. I'm totally you just gotta bury that, out. deep fry it, and it'd be good to go. Actually, I just realized they should put maple syrup on the poutine. Yeah. Oh, there we go. There You're you dipping go. sauce now. Uh-huh. You're innovating uh-huh. live on the stupid cancer yes. show. Right. Right. Love it. Yikes. No, because I was in a mall and there was like a fast food store that only sold it. But it was like it, the line there. How do you there, say it again? Putin. Putin. Apparently, they're telling me it's Putin, but I said Putin because it's I N E. Yeah. So I'm okay, just a dumb American at this point. <laughs> no, most Anglophones pronounce it. It's like Putin. the Russian. Yes. Yes. Well, anyway, long story short, I actually I'm a huge fan of Canada. Um, it's the only country I've been to outside of America, except for Aruba for my honeymoon, and uh, being that globally international, a, a man of mystery that I am. Uh, I can't thank you guys enough for destigmatizing the parts that you did and embodying the parts that you should. Thank you for having us. Cool. I'm so glad. Thank you, Matthew. Yeah, thank you, Endless guys. Boots it's been great. About. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, thank you guys so thank much. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. Thank you. Mikey Lang, Dawn Clary, Deb Bridgman. Take care, guys. Be well. Yeah, my dad and I, we went skiing up in... Uh, well, we went skiing for years and years and years, but my fondest memories are trips to Quebec City. Um, it's some pl- one of those few places I could constantly go back to and never be bored. I've I've been to Quebec once. I went, uh, I guess, in junior high with school, and um, I remember everyone spoke French, and I was really confused. Arrête, <laughs> arrête. So that makes I you that makes you the king of domestic travel, then. Why? Because you you haven't ventured to Europe. I've only been in North America. Interesting. Yeah, we, we got to get you out. Yeah. I mean, Aruba is kind of Central America, but it's mm. Aruba. I don't know. Isn't it they Caribbean? take dollar. Go, go someplace that doesn't take the American exactly. dollar. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> go right. to Israel. They take shekels. <laughs> shekels. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, there you go, folks. That is uh, stupid cancer Canada. Any, that was pretty cool. Any final comments, well, I'm Kenny? incredibly sorry. I didn't mean to no, jump go, on go you, Kenny, it. but I'm incredibly jealous that they don't have to pay. <laughs> Although the one thing that is a little scary to me, and it is one of the criticisms, listening to him talk about the wait times. Right. I got in. I got in. So I went to see a gynecologist on a Monday. I got in for a mammogram and ultrasound and a Wednesday. Had the biopsy on the spot with pathology. Met the surgeon on Thursday. Had an MRI that day. PET scan on Friday. Scheduled my surgery for a week later. So it. I waited two weeks between diagnosis and surgery. I did too. Two weeks. Yeah. But them, it seems like it took like a month. Right. And mine was so aggressive that like my tumor grew in the time from my ultrasound to my surgery. I mean, not a lot, but. but I- I waited a month between surgery and radiation. Well, you probably had to recover. I yeah, I mean, I guess so. I rec- I waited a week between um, between surgery and chemotherapy, but yeah, that's the only thing that you know. It's the wait times, but it's still overall to not feel like you're going to go bankrupt by treatment is amazing. Yeah, and also it's like they're not price gouging, whether it be. You know, a drug company gouging for a drug that they have patented, 
pat patented for like <laughs> well appendix. Sorry, it's one of those words patented. I didn't. It's one of those words I didn't realize I couldn't say until I tried to say it. Right. But uh, you know, these drug companies have I think it's like a seven year where it can't go generic, and they charge a friggin' fortune for right. it. Well, there's no profit motive in Canada, and I, you know, exactly. so I'd rather have their problems than our problems. And frankly, I would rather pay a higher tax rate, knowing it would cost me less in the end. Yeah. Over my lifetime. I mean, don't try to sell that to Americans no. because they're like batshit crazy over "Don't touch my money" or my guns or my. Yeah, I mean, or we my, my York, weed. <laughs> we live in New York City, so it's a little different, but. How about this? We legalize pot, and all the taxes on pot go to offset health care. I have been saying that for, like, a bazillion years. Yeah. That if you – this is the Annie Goodman fix for <laughs> Annie our, Goodman America. This is the Annie Goodman <laughs> fix for our economy is to legalize marijuana and tax it and to federally legalize gay marriage. The thoughts and opinions because, you're hearing currently reflect those. Of this is true. But think of all the – People who have been oppressed for so long and want to get married and can have big parties and you could tax wedding certificates and they can go to city hall and you make money off that. I was like, oh, it's an economic nightmare not having it federally mandated that it's okay to get gay married. It's I don't know why it's not. Why do people care? No, I mean that's another moral, not economic. That's why. Yeah, I know. If you could show show the economic merit of letting like federally, like Mm -hmm. constitutionally, gays can marry, they'll be how many they. Did you even see the wedding singer on this episode? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it would be crazy. There would be a boom. You would never be able to get married at the plaza or again. Even better, did you see Sex in the City too? When Stanford and, and um, yes. what's his face got married with they Liza Minnelli? Yeah. Come on, yeah. every wedding would Matt, be this, like this. Is where our our uh, interests diverge. <laughs> you go Sex in the City. I go not Sex in the City. You go Hangover Three. Something yeah, like that. I mean yeah. the Sex and the City movie was pretty terrible, but that's what I'm saying is no, but just like yeah. the, the ostentatious, exactly, you know, over the top, not the stereotype, yeah. no, not stereotyping, in general, but it's, it's, awesome. it's awesome. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. those two things I think could fix our economy, and I hope a politician's listening right now and will call me up and I will help them write legislation. Yes, you can reach her at one eight hundred Pot Annie. There yeah. you go. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't even really, I don't even smoke pot. That's okay. But anyway. That's my plan. All right. Well, that is a really great way, great way to end tonight. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, Internet. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray. I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo. You've done it again. <laughs> That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, folks, up until about five minutes ago, you were listening to number 267 of the Stupid Cancer Show. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. All righty, then. We'd like to thank all of our Canadian guests tonight, Gene LaMantia, Mikey Lang, Dawn Cleary, and Deb Bridgman. And on next week's show, Decoding Annie Parker, the breakthrough film about the discovery of the BRCA1 gene responsible for many breast and ovarian cancers. Join us as we welcome writer-director Stephen Bernstein and Annie Parker herself, along with Susan Friedman, founder and executive director of Force, to discuss this subject matter. A young adult survivor, Noah Zachary, in the Spotlight segment. Yes, Annie, thank you so much. If you missed any of our past shows, you can download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.org. Or check out the archives anytime at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks... 
If it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck on behalf of Kenny Kane, Andy Goodman, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next week live at 8 p.m. Good night, everybody. Good night. So...